Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Get them suckers off the stage. They whack. They whack. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. And I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. And today we have a special episode. On oh, a uh, very special episode of Very Bad Wizards. It's like a crossover episode, right? <laughs> it, was that something they used to do when we were kids? Like when Laverne and Shirley appeared on uh, Happy Days or something? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> the one that I ourselves. remember... <laughs> Those were TV shows. I remember... Did you ever... Did you like Buffy? I never watched Buffy because I can't stand Sarah Michelle whatever. Sarah Michelle Gellar? Yeah. No, but you know, she was good on Buffy. I heard she was. I need to give it a chance. Paul Bloom was a huge Buffy fan. Um, Was he? Yeah. Is that just because he's kind of a dirty old man? (laughs) I don't know what the sort of deep psychological reasons are. I I take it, though, that the the manifest content was because it was a good... Well written. I don't know. First of all, he's not that old, uh, and he, I don't think he's that much older than I am. No, probably, I, I which think is kind of sad. When, he's just when I arrived successful. Gra- yeah, when he arrived, <laughs> when, he, when he arrived at Yale, he was uh, he was your age. He was probably younger than you. Um, but anyway, the uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar was she she was kind of like a, a genius for that show because if you ever saw her interviewed, she could barely put a sentence together, but she gave <laughs> subtle performances on Buffy that were it. it I've always thought this, that acting is – it's one of those things that doesn't correspond really to how you are in normal life. Like it's just a gift that some people have. Now, it, it turns out her gift was – seems to have been limited mostly to Buffy, to playing <laughs> Buffy. But she did a great job. Yeah. Have you seen the uh, episode of Extras that a Ricky Gervais show with Sir Ian yeah. McKellen? Oh, God, that's awesome. <laughs> Maybe we'll play that at the beginning. <laughs> that's Sir it. Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian. Yeah. Wizard, you shall not pass. <laughs> Sir Ian, Sir Ian. <laughs> you shall not pass. <laughs> Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian. Uh, uh, anyway, that was uh, the, the last crossover event that I remember was Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, which I never watched, but um, they did a, cro- a special crossover. And, so the, so, and that's what we're doing. That's what <laughs> that that's is. It's a very long-winded way. Dan Ariely is like angel. That this is also what we're doing uh, with Dan. Is he going to play? Is it just a crossover event that we're playing it on ours, and he wouldn't dream of playing it on? Uh, on his? I don't know. I don't know. I pitched it to him as we could play it. He has a, a podcast for those who don't know called Arming the Donkeys, um, which is a pretty good name. Which gets yeah. us to to topic number two, which is apparently there's a new president in the United States of America. Yeah, no, I heard that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I in Canada, so us, they don't. They actually block the, all election news here. 
which is good for you, right? I mean, I kind of wanted to do an episode on on on, on the election and yeah, politics, and yeah, like and I, and, I was and, a little yeah. resistant because I'm uh, I don't I'm a little apolitical and I don't know much about politics. And here in Canada, there's like Whigs and Tories. I think uh, is that is that what it is? <laughs> or maybe I mean, I, look, I I, have, <laughs> I I do like politics. I'm interested in it, but I'm not that much of a junkie that I would know anything about Canadian politics. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit. That's like a model UN or something <laughs> like that. You know, like that my daughter does. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's cute. Look, she's playing Nairobi. Or so back to the election. My favorite thing, as I was saying, uh, if I had to talk about the election, my favorite thing is that that uh, statistics statistics was right. And so there's a lot of Nate. So Nate Silver wasn't the only statistician, and I think he's getting a little bit more glory than than maybe even he deserves. But I don't mind. That well, he because. picked correctly every single state. Right. He correctly right. picked every single state. And it's just a win for for science. You know, I mean, look, it's all about. It's just he's just analyzing a bunch of polls together and weighting them properly. But that's the scientific method, sort of. So did you see it all come crashing down on Fox? <laughs> this was a thing no. that I had to play over and over again the next day. With, I heard um, Carl Rove was just really Carl, Carl Rove just refused to concede Ohio to Obama, even after his own network had called Ohio for uh, Obama and you know they have all these guys back in the decision desk and Carl Rove was just no I'm on the phone with the Romney campaign and I got I, I just you know there's still these counties and that counties and so uh, Megan Kelly the the Fox anchor walks back to the decision desk when they had to kind of patiently <laughs> explain why they stood by their call and it, it's, and it's, he was definitely going to win it's and amazing. Carl Rove still didn't give it up he still it's, didn't give it up it's just an amazing case of, of um, you know, we talk a lot about intuitions uh, in, in the moral domain. And, and last time we talked a little bit about how the moral domain is kind of interesting because there's no right answer. But here's a case where where people, they show these all kinds of biases, like confirmation bias. So they're insensitive to the numbers, even when, like, the, the outcome can be just <laughs> complete, like, there will be a right answer in an hour, and they're still just completely insensitive to numbers. And I think that they're gut. No, no, I got a gut feeling about this. Like, fuck statistics. I don't care what you math nerds I'm, I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit on a 16. I know the dealer's <laughs> showing a 5. I'm going to hit on that right, 16. Right, Trust right. me, no, I got a feeling. It's been read like got, 10 times in a row. It has to be <laughs> black this time. It just has got to. Uh, it turns out it was black this time. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this was, well, I was going to say it's not about race, but it, I mean, there's a way in which it really was about race in the sense that the whole race-based baiting strategy, I think this is going to be it. That's over. Yeah. We'll never see that again, which yeah. is, re you know, if we can stop being cynical for one second, like, that's really nice. The fact that Barack Obama won a re-election when the economy is still sluggish and unemployment is at around 8%. And, you know, Romney was not a, a scintillating candidate by any stretch, but he wasn't an ogre either. It's not like Obama was running against Donald Trump. Right. Or, uh, and, and he still won and he still won big. And, it, you know, that says something about America. Right. All these Europeans who look down at us, that, that, that just never happened in Europe. Not, right. not, in a million years, they would never elect a black leader like this. Right. Last thing to say about the election. Did you see this guy, this uh, libertarian? Republican 
No, no, you briefly book. mentioned it, but I, don't, I'm, I did not. I, I couldn't stop reading Republican and conservative blogs on Wednesday just because <laughs> it was fascinating to see, like, reality. They have had four years since they had to confront reality in any real way. So one of the reactions is, you know, this country is just morally bankrupt and I'm kind of turning my back on it. And this guy, he's gotten a lot of attention. Uh, Eric Dundero has made this extremely explicit. So he's saying, today starts a new course of my life, a personal boycott. Starting early this morning, I am going to unfriend every single individual on Facebook who voted for Obama, or I even suspect may have Democrat leanings. I will do the same in person. All family and friends, even close family and friends, who I know to be Democrats, are hereby dead to me. I vow never to speak to them again for the rest of my life or have any communications with them. They deserve nothing less than hatred and utter contempt. Wow. Uh, are you someone – I strongly urge others to do the same. Are you someone who voted for Obama? Have a girlfriend who voted O? Divorce them. Break up with them without haste. Vow not to attend family functions, Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas, for example, if there will be any family members in attendance who are Democrats. Do you work for someone who voted for Obama? Quit your job. Uh, yeah, he's just unfriending people. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, right. he's like, are you making <laughs> Have a neighbor who votes for Obama? You could take a crap on their lawn. Oh, then, nice. Wait, no, no, no. This guy's not – this guy's – being reasonable. <laughs> then again, probably not a good idea since it would be technically illegal to do this, but you could have your dog take care of business. Technically. Not your like, fault. Like it's you. a loophole. <laughs> like technically illegal. <laughs> like and, going and, 56 and 55. <laughs> another, one, another way in which the government is restricting our freedom. Obama's <laughs> socialist government that you can't take a dump on somebody's lawn. sort of principle. <laughs> and, and, then, and then this one. This was one that sent my wife off. Thirdly, I believe all all we need to do is express disgust with Obama and Democrats in public places. To some extent, I already do this. So he did this already before this, you know, ground, you know, this this uh, shocking result in the election. When I'm at the Walmart or grocery store, I typically pay with my debit card. On the pad, it comes up EBT, debit, credit, cash. I make it a point to say loudly to the checkout clerk, EBT, what is that for? She inevitably says, it's government assistance. I respond, oh, you mean welfare? Great. I work for a living. I'm paying for my food with my own hard-earned dollars. And other people get their food for free. And, and I look around with disgust, making sure others in line have heard me. Wow. I'm going to step this up. And then it goes on. Wow. And on. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, then... The, the energy people put into this is just ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. Is that why you don't like it? Because you said you hate politics. I hate it all. Like I hate it all. They're all idiots. It's lesser of two evils. As Chuck D said, neither party is mine, not the jackass or the elephant. <laughs> I just think that they're all – that everybody's just uh, – uh, they're it's just teams. It's just teams. Like I, I think 
you know, it reminds me of the Simpsons uh, episode where the aliens take over the bodies of the two candidates and, and Homer's <laughs> yeah. at the end. Don't blame me. I, I voted for Konos. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's how I feel. And the guy I mean, says, I'll vote for a third party candidate. And they just yeah, both start laughing. I mean, you know, you can rip me a new one to verybadwizards at gmail.com about why I'm apathetic and I don't, but I just find it so hard to get energized when everybody's just like, you know, you might as well. It's just red and blue. It's Crips and Bloods. It's new, it's Red Sox Yankees. It's not, though. I mean, neither – we we were saying before, we don't want to alienate all our Republican listeners, but but, um, both of us are probably at the far end of – you know, we're the closest to a conservative of any – of most academics. Right. Uh, And yet in this this election, I mean, I I was really – like no election before. I mean, I voted. I don't usually vote, but yeah. I voted this time, and uh, and uh, and I really wanted Obama to win. I just thought, you know, this, and, and more for what it means than yeah. for my confidence that it's going to be that much better for the country. Although I think it will be better for the country, but just I like what it says about America, and I like that it's going to force Republicans, and, and you know. Forget about the presidency. We have gay marriage legalized in two right. states, in right. spite of your visceral disgust. <laughs> uh, right. And we have, uh, even better, marijuana legalized in two states. <laughs> even better. <laughs> even better. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> no. I, I, I guess if I had to choose, I would have, choo- I would have chosen gay marriage. But yeah, I'm not, psyched. There's... I just think that's so long overdue. And you could argue that it is more important because the drug war is more destructive you know, then, there, there's yeah. a gay pothead Puerto Rican somewhere who is just thrilled with the outcome. Yeah, <laughs> this guy is having the time it's of his life. the best night of his life. <laughs> He's a citizen. No. He can get married and he can get yeah. baked off his ass. Can- and the government can't do shit. <laughs> um, I don't mean that there aren't real issues. Like the gay marriage thing affects you know real people um and real people suffer for various issues that that are at stake in especially in in local elections but but i when i say i hate politics it really just it just drives me crazy how knee-jerk everybody is about everything you know and how and and it's very demagogue there's Mm -hmm. what's the adjective for demagogue demagogueric there's a lot of demagoguery how about that there's a lot of demagoguery and uh and very little even attempt to try to recognize the, the 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 good points on the other side so yeah i mean maybe we should talk now about about the what we talked about with dan what i talked about with dan I, I got a chance to sit down with Dan. Uh, this was in Buenos Aires. You can tell the audio is um, we're in my hotel room sharing a microphone, so it won't sound nearly as polished as, as this audio. Uh, but we got to talk about about his research on cheating and dishonesty. You know, he has a, a book, recent book out on, on dishonesty. And uh, actually, what I wanted to start the interview off with was this, this what I, I didn't, but I didn't get to it until the very end was what I perceive of as irony in moral researchers who uh, who actually make people cheat in the lab. <laughs> this is, yeah, you did get to it. Though, yeah, we finally cool. got to it. This is something yeah. that, that my friend and collaborator Dan Bartels has, uh, has re- really gets to him. And uh, he wanted to write up something about this, but, but I didn't know what, what sort of venue this would even be, who would be interested in it. But, but there is something funny 
And then he'll never get uh, bumped up to real Ted <laughs> if he writes that paper. <laughs> he'll be blacklisted. <laughs> um, so, but there is a funny there is a funny thing that social psychologists who have studied ethics or anything ethical, you know, starting with you start with if you took intro psych and you saw the um, Milgram experiments. And you see the things that, you know, the point of the Milgram experiments was to show how normal people are capable of atrocious things. Um, But you see the suffering that they put the poor subjects through. They're like causing subjects, participants, to think that they might have killed somebody. Um, Well, you know, you can't do that anymore in the States, right? mm -hmm. You can't do Milgram, but you can do it in – I just showed a video – that the, of a replication of it that they just did in England. I, I believe and, you and can you do it on a reality they, TV show. What? <laughs> you could probably do it on a reality TV show here. Well, yeah, you can do much worse than that on a reality. You could actually, <laughs> you could actually kill someone. <laughs> you could actually. Uh, but, uh, I, yeah, no, I had the same thought. Like, we were watching, I was just, this was just yesterday, actually. I, I did this video, and you see it, and you see the subjects. They're just, and this is before they, you know, they're just broken up. By what they're doing, yeah. and they can't stop themselves. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, and especially now that it's been demonstrated, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? We have proof. No, it was, I mean it's because of Milgram that a lot of those that a lot of us can do that kind of stuff. You know, and, uh, actually, and Zimbardo. But let's play yeah. the let's play the interview, then we'll come back and talk about uh, a lot of this stuff. <laughs> Dan Ariely, how are you doing? I'm a little tired. <laughs> We're trying to caffeinate you as much as possible. Yes. Uh, Do you think that when you're tired, you'll be more likely to tell me the truth, or you'll be more likely to just not talk? <laughs> uh, I, I think probably the truth, and uh, there's also some suggestion that people become more creative. Kind of when they're the tired? Stage. Yeah, when basically kind of partially drunk, partially tired. Um Different know, thoughts come to mind. I must be creative all the time. <laughs> there you go. You are creative. <laughs> no, no. I wish I were partially drunk all the time. I'm mostly partially stimulated all the time. <laughs> so we are in Buenos Aires in a hotel room, beautiful hotel room, uh, because we came for TEDx, Buenos Rio de la Plata, which is a local TEDx, and Dan curated a session, and uh, I was lucky to be part of it. And we're in the hotel room, and I'm torturing Dan to talk to me a little bit about about research. There's no stru- strict plan. Let's have a conversation. But I do have one question for you. Yes. That maybe can start the conversation. Uh, you studied dishonesty and cheating, among other things, because it's a bad thing, right? It's immoral to do. So it's actually it's actually complex. Um, so there's a story in the Bible. You know, I often quote the Bible. You do, you do, I know. <laughs> Just not the Jesus parts as yeah. much as I'd like. That's right. <laughs> so, so there's a story in the Bible that uh, God comes to Sarah and said, Sarah, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs and said, how can I have a son when my husband is so old? Wasn't she also old, by the way? She was also old, but you know. <laughs> is it somehow the husband's fault? <laughs> that's right. Usually. usually. <laughs> They're married for a long time. That's what happened. And then, and then uh, God said, don't worry about it. By the way, that's my interpretation of the yeah. Bible. It's not exactly what <laughs> Then You uh, ignore years of rabbinical <laughs> literature. <laughs> then uh, God goes to Abraham and said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And Abraham said, did you tell Sarah? And God said, yes. And Abraham said, and what did Sarah say? 
And God said, Sarah said, how could she have a son when she is so old? And the biblical scholars have wondered, how could God lie? Sarah mm-hmm. said, how could I? It's my husband is so old. And God said that she said she was old. And the conclusion is that it's okay to lie for peace at home. Yeah. What in Hebrew is called shalom bite. And, and of course, that's a wonderful rationalization if you ever need one, right? It, that it, gives it, for a great degree of flexibility, but I'm right. glad. I, I knew I was Jewish. But, <laughs> but the, the, I've talked to quite a few uh, people about this, including Jonathan Sachs, who's the chief rabbi in England, a really interesting guy. And, and he said that uh, we had to recognize that there's lots of human values. Honesty is one of them, but only one of them. And not all human values are always compatible. And the question is, what happens when they're incompatible? Right. Right. So I, I know I, f- I forgot who gave the, the story. I think it's kind of the Kantian tradition of um, somebody come to your house and say, are you hiding a, a Jewish girl? A Nazi is coming to your house and say, are you hiding a Jewish girl? And the, you can't lie. You can't lie right. because you never know what the, what the consequences will right. be. I think, I think in Judaism... Uh, this has been solved. And I think for Kant, it wasn't a Jewish girl. No, it was no, it just wasn't. a friend. It was a friend because I think that probably Germans would not. Use, <laughs> they would want to ramp up the right. intuition that this that's is a right. conflict. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. It wasn't him, but I, I think we have intuition. He said famously that if someone wants to murder your friend and he's at your house and you say, no, he's not at my house, then you've lied and you've violated an absolute moral rule. Yeah. He gets a lot of flack for this. So. So I think that uh, in Judaism, there's basically been the recognition, I think, I think more generally in life, that uh, human values are not always compatible and you need to think about them. And from that perspective, I think that th- this is, of course, what we call white lie. And nobody uh, tell their kids, you know, kid, when you grow up and somebody asks you, honey, how do I look in that dress? You should always say the truth and the absolute truth. Right. Um, Right. You know, as somebody with, with scars, I see lots of kids pointing at me and asking their parents what it is. And the parents always say, kind of, you know, put your hand down and don't right. ask. And, right. There's nothing there. <laughs> and, and, and I think there's a, in the social domain, uh, dishonesty is a fantastic lubricant. Yeah. You can ask yourself, you know, would you want to live with somebody who told you all the truth all the time? Right. Maybe, maybe not so much. I think the real issue is is what happens when we move outside of the social domain into the professional domain. So I want my uh, wife to spare my feelings and maybe be extra nice to me. Right. I don't necessarily want my accountant to give me a wrong uh, picture. I don't want the accountant of, of another company. So, right. so for a company to, to say this. So I think there's a there's this recognition that dishonesty is useful to some degree in the social domain. The degree in which it's useful in the business domain is much lower. But one of the, the, the puzzling thing is that we, we, we have these overlapping circles and they become more overlapping. So when right. I think about students, for example, you remember the recent case at Harvard? Like there was a case on, there was a class on Congress or something. And almost half of them cheated on the exam. Oh, I didn't hear about this. No, yeah. really? Yeah. And, and I think that for students, the overlap between the social life and the professional life is almost complete. Yeah. You know, for... If, if you have a nine-to-five job, right. I think it's kind right. of a little easier to separate, you know, how you like your friends and what do you do yeah. at your work. What happens if the same people you're dating and, uh, you know, playing basketball with are the people that are studying with you and so on? Right. We're, we're exactly on the boundaries. And, and I think from that perspective, part of the obligation is on university professors to kind right. of help them figure out what are the what are the. I boundaries. mean, we have the same conflict, right? I mean, we're at this conference and we have – I mean, it's not a conflict always. It's We consider it a, a – uh, something good about our jobs that we come to this conference we're doing something 
they paid for uh, us to be here for up to a week for a fifteen minute talk. Yeah. But part of 18, what we get 18. to do, eighteen minutes. Sorry, <laughs> what we get to do is hang out and be friends with the people. And so, for instance, our colleague Jonathan Lavov, who was another speaker. He probably has no problem giving me honest feedback and saying, oh, no, no, this was bad part of your talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I sometimes feel like I need to remind him that I'm his friend and I also have feelings. <laughs> and so the, the lines blur. And this is why I think some of the traditions that focus on character are a little easier to deal with. Right? The content tradition and maybe the Christian tradition is very, very much rule oriented. And mm-hmm. so what you have to do as a solution is say, well, do I have to admit that sometimes one rule can be broken for the sake of another rule? But if instead you think of what is a good person going to do? Uh-huh. A good person won't cheat you out of money, but they will spare your feelings if it's, it's not really consequential. Right? And so you could say sometimes it's difficult cases because if, say, suppose that I, I kissed a woman at a conference. I know that my wife will be devastated. Uh, this is tension between being somebody yeah. who will be honest and up and upfront with their wife, but also sparing the feelings of the wife. And so it's not as if focusing on character solves the problem, mm-hmm. but it becomes an easier way, I think, to, to, to talk about it. What's a good person like, not what's the right rule. Yeah. Um, but, but I think there's the, the fuzziness. I mean, you have to accept so yeah. much fuzziness when you accept um, a good person. Yeah, you do, but you. But life is you think, fuzzy. You think, you think people agree on what a good person? No, they don't. Do. They don't, yeah. and that's the difficulty, and that's why it's not appealing to many people. Yeah. Because you want to have, for example, a good person who has a hard on is probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's always it's a always, hard man is good to find. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, um, no, I, I think this the, the Goodman challenge is is probably very. Um, very tough. So I actually... But you know, we do this with a reasonable man test. The reasonable person, right? This allows for flexibility, but it's not as if there's not some guideline about... We know when somebody is being completely unreasonable, and we know yeah. when somebody is being completely bad. So so I actually like rules. Yeah. And, you know, I think that rules uh, really help us figure out exactly where we are. Right. And the reasonable man is, 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 a, is, a, is, a, tough, is a tough thing. So... So in Judaism, there's this notion, it's called the decision point. Mm-hmm. The idea is that if you um, ordered all people from the most secular to the most religion, one of the things that would happen is that there would be a real difference between what they have to make decisions about. Mm-hmm. Where the secular people have to make decisions about everything, what you eat, what you wear, da, da, da. as you get more and more religious, decisions right. are out of your control. Yeah. You basically have another authority. And it's not... In Judaism, it's it like the rules really kind of uh, dictate everything about your yeah. life. It's, it's, it's incredible. They're material. scaffolds, right? Yeah. They, they help, they, help uh, they reduce the ambiguity of life. That's right. And, and how much you give to charity and how you give to charity and how you wash your hands. I mean, really, lots of things are regulated. Right. Um, and I think rules in that case are incredibly helpful because the odds that you will actually execute the reasonable man test for yeah. every decision you have to make, I think yeah. it's not, and that it would come to your mind right. in all of those cases when you're when you're facing challenges. So maybe when you think up front and you're kind of planning what kind of rules you're going to break tonight, yeah, uh, or this week, let me plan that thing. Maybe the reasonable man test is not that bad, but at the moment of temptation, I don't think it's a really good strategy. No, I think you're right, and I, this comes to uh, there's a, there's research by Dave Dunning about. Um, Traits. When you ask somebody, how intelligent are you? There is a there is because it's such a broad trait. 
What it allows for is an idiosyncratic definition for everybody to say they're intelligent. Mm-hmm. And good character, good person, reasonable person allows for flexibility that, that rules doesn't allow for. And so because of that, you can always get people justifying a bit. But rules rules can be used as a crutch, too. Where you could say, you can do some pretty nefarious things yes. all within the letter of the law. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and and that's uh, and that's a question of what uh, what the rules are and where where they are. And so you know, I my one of my uh, examples on my own was that um, we ran we ran this experiment at Harvard, and the the reason we used their lab is because they have people coming from the street, and you know, like all experiments, we hope that one group will perform well and one group will not perform as well, and we get this. Aside from one person, and his performance is awful. He's just at the bottom, as if he's dead. Like right. you know, no, no, no performance whatsoever. And it was a group-based thing, which means that all the people who were with him kind of got penalized right. as well. So you know, it's not just him. So I look carefully at his data. He's twenty-five years older than anybody else. It's the only demographic I have in gender. And we remember one old drunk guy that came to the study. Right. No question, it was this guy. Right. Took him out of the sample. Data looks beautiful. And then we talked about it in the lab meeting, and we said, what if by luck he would have been in the other group, in the group that we hoped would be, would yeah, be lower? Right. And oh, then probably would have never looked at the data. And if we looked at the data, we would have come up with an idea of why we should have absolutely. more drunk people. Yeah, <laughs> more, absolutely. More no. drunk people. Now, here's yeah. the thing. For me, when I initially took his data point out, I was thinking I was kind of you know, cavalier or Clearing the path for data to emerge correctly, right. right? Now, I wasn't thinking about cheating. I wasn't thinking about lying. Now, the other thing was this was the first study. And if the data really didn't hold, it would have chased, sent me on the goose chase for, for who know how many experiments on something that doesn't exist. Or yeah. imagine it was a, the first pilot data for a grant proposal, right? Then it would have been really worse. Now, right. <clears throat> for me, after that, I basically have now very strict rules for me and my students. You don't want drunk people in the study, perfectly fine. You just have to declare it in advance. And, and, and check for it in both conditions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, no, and you can't do it after right. the fact. Um, and, and, uh, and, and we now became very strict about it. And it's not about lying to other people. It's about lying to ourselves. Yeah. And, and I think, for me, that's, that's the, biggest, the biggest issue with rationalization. And uh, the reasonable testament, I think, could change so dramatically depending right. on what, what you're trying to do. That I think in in some cases it's really important to create these rules right. and adhere to them uh, up, up front. And so for us, I think uh, data is one of those things. And by the way, I, I talk to lots of people from startups. Mm-hmm. Um, when people from startups present their data to um, to investors, they have no rules. Like at least we have some rules right. about what's data and what's data analysis. They don't. start their they chart the plot the chart with a starting at nine and ending at eleven when the range is actually yeah. But no, it's, it's more than that. It's how do you define a user? Right. Oh and, yeah. And how right. many hours a day? And what what's a minute? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is somebody who just created an account or half an account and never right. finished signing up and yeah. lots of things like that. Um, and and I think it's one of those cases that because they don't have rules. They really um, play with the data. They convince themselves that they are right. right. They're not breaking any rules. They don't break any right. rules. 
But I think and it's not just that they are doing it. Oh, I can get away with this. It's that they actually. Yeah. They, you're right. It leaves room for self deception in a way that. Right? That's right. And and I think it's bad for everybody because now the VCs don't, the venture capitalists don't believe the data anymore. Yeah, right. So so I think it's one of those cases where some rules mm-hmm. about okay, what does data mean? What's a user? What's ours? Right. How do we do it on a is actually incredibly important. Right, right. So maybe as a guide, as a guide to behavior, rules are good. I think that the power of the character approach comes from a guide from for evaluating other people's behavior that has already occurred. You, yeah. There is where you say, look, this guy, he broke a rule, yeah. but in a similar cir- circumstance, I think uh, a reasonable person would have broken the same yeah. rule. And then you lose the rigidity. You accept that life is complicated, but yeah. you also still say... It, Oh, but all things being equal, I'm not saying you're allowed to break that rule. Yeah. Like, you know. Just, yeah. That's right. Or, or you can think about it. The reasonable men test is a basically a kind of an armchair calculation of what how you want your life to look like. Right, right. And then you say, okay, so to yeah. do this, I'm going to have these rules and right, these right, rules. Right. And that basic, but that's kind of the the decision of what to set up. Right. Uh, but then, then to actually execute something. It is, yeah. I, I also think about this as the difference between stopping smoking and going on a diet. You know, if you if you smoke, you're either a smoker or a non-smoker. Mm-hmm. It's kind of easy to be right. one or the other. Dieting, it's it's just about the next forkful, right? Yeah. It's, so it's really it's really hard. So you can say, okay, no dessert, or you can say no uh, dessert aside from the weekend. Like you can have these yeah. rules, but if you basically had to think about every forkful. Uh, or every little extra bite, it would be incredibly, incredibly tough. It would be tough. But you know what? What happens is that people port this rule-based approach to dieting, and this leads to one of the, I think, one of the more interesting findings that seems fairly obvious, I think, but but uh, um, but it's been documented well, that when you say, for instance, you set up a rule that says no sweets, mm-hmm. no ice cream, and then you have one taste of ice cream and you finish the gallon That's right. because you have now broken the rule. And uh, and I think that a, the reasonable the reasonable band, the character approach, would uh, would prevent those kinds of errors from occurring. Yeah, right? um, yeah. And and the, the logic there is that we think of ourselves in binary terms: we're yeah. either good or bad, we're dietary right. or not dietary. So there's not like seventy five percent dietary. Right, right, right. And right. and the thing is, you don't have to be a hundred percent honest or hundred percent dietary to be a dietary. You could be like ninety seven percent. But if you do, if you pass something that is very clear and right. you're not a dietary anymore, you say, "What the hell? I might as well." Yeah. Enjoy it and go. Yeah, and go. Although as a vegetarian, I resent it when people say I'm a vegetarian. I, you know, I, I have an occasional steak. I tell them that's like saying I'm a virgin. Every once in a while, I really like to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 according to what you just said, that would be a really good opinion. <laughs> yeah. right. No, no, no. It, it I'm not a virgin. No, 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 I'm a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it, it probably would because uh, then if it's a temptation at all, right? I mean, a vegetarian like me, I never eat meat. I'm not tempted by meat. But if it's a temptation at all. Then I have a steak, and then I have a hot dog, and then I because I'm no longer vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. But but actually, uh, one of my friend Graham has a a little TED talk on like he said the the weak vegetarian or not weak from uh, the weekday. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so and basically, I think that that actually helps because you know he he says for carbon emissions right. and for health and all kinds of things. Do you really have to go all the way? Yeah, and this, this is a big point of contention, and it gets to something that Dan and I uh, and Hetty Kober were talking about uh, just walking around yesterday here in Buenos Aires, which is that approach seems so reasonable. Look, cut your meat consumption by half, and the world will be a better place. But for a moral vegetarian, this is akin to saying, 
look, I know that you molest 10 children a year. Try five. You know, just molest five children a year and the world will be a better place. Um, because they are bound by a rule. Yeah. They say, the reason I don't eat meat is because it's wrong to kill or make an animal suffer. And uh, the, the reasonable person who doesn't have this rule says, no, no, the reason we don't eat meat is for health, for environment, whatever, whatever. And so it seems perfectly reasonable to treat yourself to a steak on the weekend. Yeah. yeah. By the way, my wife uh, is vegetarian. Yeah. yeah. That's why I love her. <laughs> but <laughs> one, of she... <laughs> reasons, one of the reasons. One of the reasons. But she actually has a, a very nice rule that says that if we go to dinner to other people's home, and they cooked something with meat, she is not going to make them feel bad yeah. by not eating that. I was in and the same situation. And I, I was invited to somebody's house to eat. They didn't, they didn't remember or realize they're vegetarian. Two old ladies, they cooked uh, uh, Cornish hen. I, I suffered, but I ate the whole thing and tried to never let them know. That was, yeah. Because, once again, I'm not Kant. You know? <laughs> What am I going to say? No, you have offended me. Not just offended me. You're you're morally you're morally wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How can you possibly How do that? How can you possibly? Yeah. And um, and and I think I think there are these uh, trade-offs that will be that will be really yeah. really interesting. Right. I think there's no con- there's no it's it's not a coincidence. By, by the way, on this on this podcast, uh, Tamler and I we we follow a policy of trying our best to offend every single group, uh-huh. so that we can never be accused of being partial. So uh, what I was every, about to every say, single group. Okay, I, have, I, have, I, have, I, have, I might have a joke for you. Yeah. Oh, good. What I was going to say is, there, it's no, it's no uh, surprise that Kant was German. <laughs> so now, now you've done. Now you've done your share. Now I've done my share to offend yeah, yeah. the people. Um, so uh, before we wrap up, I do have this question for you. Um, in in Dan's studies, which if you don't know about, I don't know why you're listening to these podcasts, but read one of Dan's three books and a, and uh, and whatever eight books he's writing this week. Um, you talk, you do studies where you have people uh, solve math problems. In a prototypical study, they're asked to solve math problems. They get a dollar each uh, for each math problem solved. And through, through clever ways, you can tell that people actually report having solved more math problems than they actually did, and they get paid. But they always get they – they, they don't just report that they, they uh, solved all of them. They just fudge it a little bit. Um, but it's clear that they know what they're doing from your experiments, yeah. right? Um, so they are doing something. That, this is not for the sake of, of not offending anybody. This is not – you know, this is actually probably everybody would agree – It's, it might be a small moral lapse, but it is a moral lapse. Yeah. And one of the reasons it's so compelling is because if it's analog to other kinds of similar, similar, uh, similar sort of financial moral lapses in the in the market, or or people stealing, shoplifting, or downloading illegally, so it's a bad thing. And what Dan shows over and over again is that m- most people are okay engaging in these small moral lapses. But now, as somebody who believes that this is important because it's wrong. What do you think about the fact that you have induced this many people in the world to commit immoral so, acts? Yeah, about 40,000 people so far. Right, and a lot of money. And a lot of money, yeah. yeah. So... Do you uh, think that's a, in any way... So they're, they're... Okay, sorry to interrupt you, but there are a, a variety of answers that you could give. But one of them is, it's a... I have done something wrong in making entrapment, basically. Yeah. I've entrapped them, and this is wrong, but it's not nearly as wrong as... Failing to know this about human nature. Yeah, so I, I definitely think of it in terms of entrapment. Right. And I have actually made a conscious decision of not to debrief people after the study. Mm. 
So I tempt people to be dishonest. They are dishonest. And I actually decided not to confront them with it after that. Okay. Uh, because I think confronting with them after the, after the fact yeah. would really has a potential of creating tremendous damage. Hey, you just cheated. How do you yeah. feel about it? What, yeah. what can we tell about it? And now you start to think of yourself as a cheater to a higher degree. So, By the way, this was a reasonable strategy until your books appeared in every major airport in the world. <laughs> and probably these 40, of the 40,000 people, <laughs> 38,000 have read about their uh, own books. No, no, they don't. <laughs> uh, no, they probably think they were in the control group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, they're the only ones who did <laughs> Um, so, so I think there's definitely uh, um, an issue here, uh, but, uh, but but it's not for amusement, right? Uh, and, and I think it's incredibly important. So my my hope, and actually I'm, I'm finding that is you know that uh, bankers and regulators and companies will actually start paying attention to this uh, much more carefully. So, and I see this happening. I'm talking to central banks in the U.S. and in Europe and in Africa, and and I think there is you know if we can I- improve understanding of this behavior to a slight degree, I think we're doing more good than bad. But there's no question that. Um, there is this, uh, you know, what the hell effect, and I've yeah. made people slight cheaters, and uh, maybe it influenced the rest of the day, maybe the right. week, maybe how they thought about it. Right, um, but even if, even if, I mean, there are two concerns. One is that having made somebody do something immoral might actually make them either feel bad or make them more likely to do an immoral thing. But independent of that, um, you might feel as if you have violated a moral rule of your own, which is that I ought not to encourage immoral behavior. Yeah, so so I I uh, I believe that science trumps all of those things. I mean, all as being equal, I would prefer not to entrap people. Yeah. Right. If there was some kind of uh, fMRI measurement of right, morality right. that didn't have uh, an outcome uh, with with dishonesty, but we could measure things directly or do it hypothetically, I would mm-hmm. prefer to do it. Um, but given that we don't, um, right? And there is a I, case I would, where I mean, there's a case to be made where. Where, uh, I've, I've talked to this, about this at length with my colleague Dan Bartels, um, who finds it, who also studies morality and moral judgment, who mm-hmm. finds it extremely ironic that, that uh, people like us who are interested in ethic so often engage in the kinds of studies where we're actually causing people to act unethically. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that, that the greater good is clearly the case here. And it's not as if you're, you're dangling naked women in front of married husbands. Um, yeah. You know the consequences of taking a dollar from a researcher who knows that a dollar will be taken from him yeah. is nowhere near as as serious. Yeah. But nonetheless, it sheds, I think, a tremendous amount of light on on our behavior. But what's interesting is that policymakers and governments and banks haven't really taken to the research that much. It could no, save no. them millions, billions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would also cost them a lot, right? right? Because they're making lots of money this way. So, so it's, it's a complex issue, but, you know, and it will take time. And I do want to tell you one thing. So recently we've been doing the same kind of research, um, waiting for people to get on, out of per, on parole. Mm. So right. We wait and uh-huh. uh, and we, we do two things. Um, so people, people solve these little problems, and when they finish, they write down how many problems they solve, and then we give them an envelope with money and we say, pay yourself. So people can cheat in two ways. They can exaggerate the number of problems they solve. So let's say I solve four and I can write six or seven on the on the piece of paper. But then when I get the money, the envelope, it has $50. I can take more money than <laughs> I actually uh, made. And what we find is that people exaggerate the number of problems they solve, but they don't really take more money than what they wrote down. 
That's funny. And, and we and we separate this between. Are they just bad know, at math? <laughs> oh, they're, they're, terrible. <laughs> they're terrible at math. But that's a separate issue. They can count money, but they're terrible at math. By the way, it's it's amazing. Like there were some people who thought that two point seven is actually nine. Because you think it's funny. It's terrible. Um, Sorry, it's not funny. It's not it's funny. A, I laugh to keep from crying. <laughs> yes. Um, but no, they know how to count money. But but we, we think of it as the difference between cheating and stealing. Mm-hmm. Right? So so when you solve four problems, right. you can write six. You kind of... Right. It's like Schrodinger's cat, right? It's not really there until you write it down. There's a ambiguity. <laughs> yeah. But once you wrote $6, you have a hard time taking it, mm-hmm. <clears throat> even though it's anonymous and so on, and, and th- there's no difference in detection between right. the two <clears throat> the two cases. Um, so that's one thing that is, is kind of interesting, this difference between those two. The other thing is that, so we run these people who are, you know, professional criminals. These are people who have been to jail. Or, right. Um, and we run it on people in downtown Durham mm-hmm. uh, who haven't been to jail. Mm-hmm. Yet, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we actually um, we had a surprising number of people in downtown Durham who have been to jail at yeah. some point, but we take them. I mean, for right. this for this experiment, they're, they're not part of the study, and we don't find real differences in how they cheat. Wow! So now, what we're trying to do now is we're trying to get their prison uh, records mm-hmm. and, and to see what they're what they're in for and. I, I suspect that what happened is that people who are, let's say, steal cars, mm-hmm. just kind of make stealing cars their job. Oh, right, 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 right. Dealing drugs. They're domain-specific in their moral right. lapses, right. That's right. I, I don't think they are overall less just, moral. I think yeah. they just kind of defined an area. I mean, That's interesting. That's a, it's very easy, I think, for us to, to say, well, you're a criminal, not yes. you committed a crime. That's right. Yeah. And in this particular domain. Right. And I actually talked to a guy that kind of grew up in a mafia family. Mm-hmm. And for much of the discussion with him, it seemed he was amoral. Mm-hmm. Uh, he couldn't care about, you know, tax fraud mm-hmm. and insurance fraud and uh, customers and all kinds of things. But when he dealt with his family, right. a word was a word and a handshake was a handshake. And there was this partitioning. Right. And in his case, it was incredibly clear, but I think it actually happens to all of us. Yeah. So... I think that uh, some of us, you and me, uh, don't feel bad about downloading illegal music right. from the, the even if I it's Tupac. It. I deny it. Oh. <laughs> yes. um, no, I send the artists money in an envelope. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you should, yeah, but, but I only downloaded six songs. <laughs> yeah. and, and for now, the artist gives you the envelope back to spend on other things. That's like, right. All my letters to Tupac keep coming back to me. <laughs> yeah. So... So I think this partitioning is, you know, it's kind of incredibly clear mm-hmm. in the crime family, but mm-hmm. I think it's actually incredibly common that we all we all do it. And I think it's actually interesting to think about morality as being domain specific and yeah. what are the cultural input and what are the personal rules and how do we define domain by domain what is mm-hmm. acceptable and not acceptable. Yeah, I think this is very interesting. I, I have tended to think of this as a moral circle based on people and uh, groups, collectives, but I think what you're saying is different and and probably equivalently true that uh, that it is not just by I take care of my family. It's that I have certain domains even of of behavior, like you say, downloading music legally, which I, I have no no guilt. I mean, I mean, I can't even <laughs> I can't even muster guilt. But if I say something that I think offended a friend. I, 
it racks me with guilt, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we have, so and we have other friends that we both know they don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> so you mean our psychopath friends? <laughs> Domain specific psychopathy. <laughs> uh, no, I think this is, this is very very interesting. I, I think it's a good way to think, and I think that you know, as, as people who study human behavior, psychologists, if there's one take home story, it's that um, that it's it would be a mistake to simplify humanity and say, oh, there's good people and bad people. Yeah. You know, this is what intrigues me about movies and literature it's it's so easy to spot the bad guy and the bad guy you know he twirls his mustache and he has this sinister look he steals cars he rapes women he cheats on his test and that's just not the way life works yes yeah yeah you know i i've been interviewing uh, all kind of cheaters in addition to this mafia mm-hmm. uh, guy people who are kind of doping in sports mm-hmm. and uh, insider trading and accounting fraud and all kinds of things and i also interviewed some judges and lawyers and in so far, in all cases, this has not been a case of bad people. Yeah. In fact, from all the people I interviewed, the one I hated the most was one of the lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of them were just incredibly humane stories of people who took one wrong step. And when we look at like a sequence of somebody like um, Garrett Bauer, who did insider trading for 17 years, we look at the outcome of their actions and we said, we could have never done that. But yeah. they never thought about that as well. They thought about one step. Right. And then took one other step and then one other step and so on. Well, well thank you very much, Dan. My pleasure. And uh, Dan, you have a, you have your own podcast, Arming the Donkeys, which Arming is a, donkeys. such a clever title. <laughs> I wish I would, were that clever with title, Arming the Donkeys. And uh, and if you see it, mine is much shorter. Much shorter. Very bad wizards. Very, very bad wizards arming bad donkeys. Same. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks. All right. Um, Was that insightful or what? I actually liked the interview, not so much for the quality or the content of the interview (laughs) itself, (laughs) but for – I think it raises a lot of really interesting issues that we could talk about briefly now, but maybe – you know, I I could see a couple of episodes coming out of uh, some of the stuff that you talked about there. And yes, it was actually a very – it was a good interview. You did a good job. (laughs) Thank you, sir. (laughs) You've – is that your first interview that you've ever conducted? Yeah, probably. Probably. You would consider my – first interview but yeah, yeah you did I, a good job uh, it's thanks. uh you popped your cherry congratulations <laughs> i love it when that happens yeah, yeah. i present, uh, presented him with a cloth at the end <laughs> <laughs> now you're not gonna get bumped up to chat again. uh no uh he loves you i remember because i met him once and he he raved about you and i love um him. So, he, <laughs> well, you know what, Maryland now, Maine. No, no. You also mentioned that you loved his wife. Mm. I. Uh, she's an amazing, being, amazing person. Is she really? Yeah, she's awesome. How, uh, like, wh- what kind of love do you have for her? <laughs> the same kind I have for your wife. <laughs> and what kind is that? <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. You know, the <laughs> listeners can <laughs> can fill it in. All right. Um, Couple things that I thought were interesting and that you guys seem to disagree about, although you caved occasionally a little too early, was on this issue of rules. Um, which is better, just having these rules or 
just asking yourself what a good person is going to do. You seem to be taking the side of, you know, the virtue ethics kind of approach, which is essentially what would a virtuous man do? You're not, there's no rules, there's no algorithm, there's no set of principles that you're going to be able to apply. You have to uh, regard the situation and just, you know, think, all right, you know, what kind of person do I want to be and what would that person do in this situation? Right. Uh, and, and, and what I liked that you said was, you know, he said that was sort of a fuzzy – that's too fuzzy because people disagree about, you know, what a good person would do. And it's just too – and you said, well, yeah, but uh, life is fuzzy. I think that's <laughs> that's absolutely right. And if you have too clean-cut uh, a moral system, I think this is the problem with all of – like most of ethics in philosophy. Right. You have too clean-cut, too simplistic or even complex a, a, a set of principles and rules. It's not going to be able to handle the complexity of life and it's going to be abused too easily. Right, right. And, and I think that um, it just becomes so obvious when we're discussing – any of these, like, you know, uh, deontological consequentialist rule-based rule based theoretical uh, approaches to ethics that there's always a point at which you realize that the rule breaks down. So then you have to talk about sort of prioritizing one rule over another, and you slowly get to, to I think, more of a, these, these sort of rules of thumb about what, what to do in what situation that approach – that approach kind of a, a virtuous man. And it may be that rules are good to have as guidelines for one's own action because, you know, character, whatever a virtuous person does or the reasonable person does is not necessarily a good guide for you when you're trying to decide what to do in any given situation. Maybe it's good to have salient rules, especially whenever you're talking about... Um, yeah, like unbreakable rules. I right. liked what he said. I liked his example of the... The data that he considered fudging and right, then, right, 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 and, and so as a guide for your own action, you know, it's but it's, but that goes both ways, right? So yes, the reasonable man test, the virtuous man test, uh, that can be subject to you know post hoc rationalization. Oh well, this is I think a virtuous man would exactly, uh, yeah. would, you know would do this thing and you know like fudge the data because it's clearly and. But rules can also, because there are so many rules, and you know, John Haidt has made his career pointing this out, you can always find a rule that will justify what, what it is that you right. want to do. Right. So there's post hoc rationalization possibilities on both sides. I think what he's, if you just have these ironclad rules that just can't be outweighed by other rules and can't be, uh, and you just, especially in certain kinds of situations, just follow them no matter what. Uh, that's a pretty helpful thing. That's like a commitment device, right? Yeah, that exactly. just make, yeah, yeah. And so, and and to commit to to a, an ethical system where you're going to abide by rules that everybody knows of, uh, then they can they can sort of call you on your bullshit, right? So, right. so I I can't fudge it too much if I said you know I am going to follow the Ten Commandments and then I start adultering. Is that, is that a verb? Which <laughs> adultery? <laughs> yes, uh, you've been adultering a far too. Well. I love that, by the way. I, I like that thing about yeah. I kiss a woman at a conference, and that's not the that's not the issue. 
right? right? The issue is now whether you tell your wife or not. Right. Uh, that's the thing that you have to struggle with. Like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. Right, I'm going to make out with that woman at the conference, take her back to my room. Well, you know, you don't want to hurt her feelings. Uh, but then, yeah, no, that's not an issue, obviously, no matter, what, no matter what ethical system you subscribe to. It's the golden to, rule, dude. If someone wants to make out with you, would you want to be turned down? Like, I mean, if you want to make out with someone, would you want to be turned down? No. <laughs> that would just be rude. Uh, no, that's right. I, I definitely wouldn't. And, you, you know, you that's your love your universal love that extends to women at <laughs> conferences, young women at conferences even. But, uh, but yeah, no, I loved that, that that was your example. But the example wasn't, you know, should I hook up with right, this woman? Right. It's should it's like, I tell my wife yeah. that I hooked up is with it, this Is woman. it okay to and cremate not, the body of the person you murdered? Or do you have to This bury? moral dilemma we always face after every conference. Should we tell, should we tell our wives? <laughs> <laughs> this would have been married in a long time. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, oh my goodness! So, uh, so okay, back to uh, substance. Back to cheese. So, what, what do you actually think of? Uh, do you think that there's any sort of real entrapment <laughs> that that uh, Dan is engaging in by having people uh, steal yeah, money let- from him? Yeah, so let's talk about that. So that was interesting. So you sort of challenged him on this issue of you're making people steal money or you're giving them the opportunity to steal money. Right. And then he said, as a, me- as a form of defense, which I actually thought was bizarre, that he's made the conscious choice not to debrief people and to tell them. You would think if there's one justification <laughs> right. for it is that you tell people right. and then so they, they know, learn they know this about themselves yeah. and now they can look out for it the next time. Yeah, you're right. I didn't call him on, on that. But I believe yeah. that the debriefing people is is part of, uh, of the ethics protocol. <laughs> yeah, where does – so <laughs> there's a couple of things like that. But I thought that was bizarre and I didn't get his – he thought it would be really damaging for them if he debriefed them. Right, to know but, that they actually did something bad I mean, or, yeah. or to call them out on it um, because presumably they know that they did something bad. Um, but then he said also that, you know, for the good of science, you know, that's the, the standard thing that probably Milgram used and that everyone who wants to torture animals uses in, on, on their laboratory experiments, which uh, uh, I hate that. And, but, uh, but it makes me instantly suspicious of, of when people say, no, but it's for the good of science that I'm doing this, uh, <laughs> even though I don't think what he's doing is particularly all that bad. I do think he should debrief them, though. Just tell them. I'd, I'd want to know. Yeah, uh, yeah I, maybe know. he really does treat his book as like debriefing writ large. Right. That was like kiss-ass number eight or something when you're like, it's in every airport. Oh, it's in every airport. That's not going to work. Uh, you know, you, Instead you, of challenging him on this like fairly controversial thing that he says. You're every, like, time I, every time you're I such a best-selling to... author, Dan, I just, hey, whoa, I can't even believe I'm talking every to you. Time I, every time I talk to you, I wonder whether you ha- will have drunk the haterade this morning. And, it, and apparently it's part of your morning routine. <laughs> no, I'm just very bitter about one <laughs> single thing. But no, yeah, I, I, I found that to be a little weird. I also found it weird that both of you have absolutely no issue with downloading music and it just uh, for free. And it just seems like oh, do you everything that Ariely is saying is, is uh, you know, the, the things that he makes his subjects do or, or gives them the opportunity to do doesn't seem to me to be any worse than downloading music. Yeah, I... I um I guess I agree. I, I guess I agree. I I actually, 
it's not that I don't have a problem with with downloading music; is that I have no compunction. It's, right. it's just weakness of the will. Um, I'm willing to admit that it, that it's wrong. But do you? Uh, this is what you want to talk about. Last <laughs> this is why. Do you really think it's wrong? This is why really it's an think... interesting question. See, you said this no, was it's an interesting not. question. I don't. I, I stand by that. Do I really think that it's wrong? And if if I do really honestly think that it's wrong, why don't I have any compunction? <laughs> and I'm saying, and you're it's saying because that, you just don't care. You just... that that's yeah, that's a pseudo question. <laughs> I, and I'm a so philosopher, your, and I know is, I know a lot. I know about pseudo questions. Is your claim that I don't actually think that it's wrong, or that I that I do I'm, and I don't do it anyway, I, and that's a trivial thing? I, I'm claiming that there's no platonic form of wrongness that you can isolate. Wrong is a kind of a fuzzy word, just like most concepts that, you know, from in, on the one hand, you think that it's wrong. And on the other hand, you don't. I mean, it's just not. Uh, and then having to I, I don't see any point in trying to narrow it down further than that. Weaseling, you're weaseling out of it so hardcore. It's like, How, oh, look, some people, when they say wrong, they mean not at all wrong, and some people mean, like, really, really wrong, and then that's okay. You, wait, you should be able to – it's like you're saying, like, oh, no, wrong is a fuzzy concept, and when some people say wrong, they mean, they mean oh, like, no, it's not that you shouldn't do it, and sometimes people mean, like, no, you should, you should go to jail if you do it, and it's a horrible, horrible thing, and you'll burn in hell. And the, the – all that's doing is pushing the question back. Do I mean wrong in the sense that I mean wrong in every other case? And why can't you say, well, you just have a misunderstanding of what? No, obviously not the same way you mean wrong in every other case because they're different cases. You know, here, here's the thing. It's like when people ask whether – I don't see any difference between that question and the question, is bowling a sport? Yeah, but if, uh, I, say, if I say something like – and what I mean by justice is uh, when when people go to the grocery store and get free stuff. And you're like, wait, wait, you're just way off about what, right. what you mean. Because if justice. somebody said that reading a book was a sport, they would be way off. There are clear cases on both sides. And if somebody says football is not a sport, they're way off. Right. But so then there there's going to be these things that are in the middle. And, and, and there's just like, – it's fine if you want to go on talk radio and debate about it over a few beers. But the idea that that's a, a subject of research, I just don't get. I Honestly, I don't get it. But that's like saying like – Look, what is it about me saying that uh, when I say wrong or when people say wrong, what what the, the the real use of the concept is that it contains motivation to not act in that way, and that's just saying there is there are edge cases. I'm not saying it's right. It's just why can't I just say saying it's wrong, but I don't mind doing it is like saying reading is bo- is a sport. What's wrong with that? Well, you just did it, right? You said, I think that it's wrong, but I don't have no compunction about doing it, and I'm not motivated in the slightest not to do it. And, right, I, but understood, you don't, but you don't and think, I understood what you meant. But you don't think that I'm incorrectly – you, you're not – but when somebody says, I think reading is a sport. I, I think they don't know what reading means because right, that's so too far off. so why can't you just off. say you don't, you don't know what wrong means, David? Because I, I think you do know what wrong means because that's not – you see, you don't understand. Reading as a sport is on the far end of the clear case, not a sport. But how – but, but this why? is how, in the middle. Are, this but, is in the middle. But what – You but kind of think it's wrong and you kind the, of don't. But that like, thing, that's all there is to it. But saying that it's in the middle is actually using some criteria that you're claiming you're not using. 
What is yeah. it about 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 it that makes this particular case be a middle case and not an extreme? I know, but you're but but uh, you're first of all you're not saying it because you said I do think it's wrong. Well, yeah, but and, I, but my whole point after that was you know I think I'm probably abusing the term. I know it's oh, wrong. Okay, fine. Right, and yet I absolutely understood what you meant. You meant I think theoretically that it's wrong, but I don't seem to have a problem with doing it, and I just don't see the need of. To go any deeper than that, not with a concept like wrongness, where most of the time we we uh, we get what the person needs, and it's it, you know what's funny is that I'm the philosopher and you're the well, psychologist. Yeah. This is a common theme <laughs> to our podcast. Is that I, secretly, I'm a philosopher and you're secretly a psychologist. We're not just very we're just not Maybe very well just, trained in our disciplines. <laughs> right? You no, know, I think that's definitely true. No, but I have the same thing with knowledge. You know, I'll never understand, like, is this an instance of knowledge or not all oh, the right. things? And, 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 you know, philosophers get, you know, they have conferences uh, all over the world trying to ask that question. And, and then right. there's debates about whether they're, you know, there's cross-cultural studies. Do they call it knowledge and stuff like that? And it's just, <laughs> it's just not. You really are not a philosopher, man. Well, no, I, 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 and here's the thing about knowledge. I don't know about wrongness. I, I, there's a two, one, two percent chance I might change. I've changed my mind before about a lot in philosophy, but I'll never change it about knowledge. And I've asked a lot of people this, and nobody has ever given me a convincing answer, answer besides, well, Plato. You know, Plato talked about this. And, you know, Descartes <laughs> talked about it. <laughs> right, right. But for, uh, for yeah, no, I, I don't like those things. I really, really dislike those kind of like, is this really right. blank concept? Look, it's fun to talk so about. So moral wrongness is sort of just taste. <laughs> I'm not saying it's taste. I'm saying it's not. It's it, you don't have these conditions. You have a broad set of criteria that define that sort of generally, you know, kind of specify what we mean by wrongness, and you can definitely abuse that. I, yeah, I, I think the only the only disagreement we have here is whether uh, whether I'm abusing it in the case of saying it's wrong, but I don't mind doing it. So, you mean abusing it and abusing the, the concept, yeah. right? Right, I just, see. just sort of blatantly I, I, throwing it in the face of the concept, like I, I don't think so. Just I know like that it's when white, you, but it just has like cool when you were married and you it. kissed that uh, girl at the conference, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you knew that it was wrong, but uh, whatever the opposite of mind doing it was, I, I, that was how you felt about it. I thought it was a girl. I thought it was a girl. <laughs> 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 so, uh, all right. Well, okay, good. At least we. At that least doesn't really. Yeah, that doesn't really relate to the. <laughs> but yeah, the last thing I want to say about your interview is this: I thought was really interesting. The domain-specific moral lapses. The people in the the the, the prisoners awaiting parole were uh, no less dishonest on these kinds of experiments than uh people on the street in durham and um and i thought that was really interesting and reflected you know it was it was was an interesting insight because i think that's absolutely right people aren't just generally dishonest or generally honest they're just honest in certain phases of their life and then there's like what he said it's like his job he steals cars but otherwise (laughs) you know right right right. and i think that that there are a couple things that go into that one is that you know we have like criminals have lapses in their morality due to you know some sort of 
factors. Like they 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 lose control and they do something that's that would be tempting to maybe anybody, but uh, but we normally don't do it. We have constraints, and they they sort of lose control and they do one thing. That doesn't mean that in all other domains that the that they're just this horrible horrible people or villains. Um, and then there's just there is just true domain specificity that you might actually like me. I, somebody might accuse me of being dishonest or or a liar or or you know whatever for downloading music, but uh, I would never steal you know fifteen dollars worth of goods from a grocery store. So maybe this is just you know whatever is easier for me um, doesn't it it just doesn't mean that I'm like a totally nefarious guy just because I do some things that that are nefarious. Yeah, like that's ninety. I mean, my students, I always ask them, how many of you download music for free? And pretty much every single hand goes up. Yeah. And then you ask them. I, I do this in the context of post-talk rationalization thing. And, you know, I say, well, how, why do you think that's okay? And you just get every post-talk justification. Yeah, it's book. amazing. It's, it really is amazing. Yeah. It comes so easily. Yeah. Know? Oh, well, it's actually good for them because they get the visibility. Well, then why aren't they putting out their <laughs> yeah, right. their albums for free. Right, right. If they put out their shit for free, then go ahead. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and I've seen people do do that and it's cool when they do, but but they, you know, it's clearly but you're some, isn't it up to them, like not up to yeah, you what will be best of, for them. Right, right. Uh, like, it's like stealing your book and distributing it. Um uh, yeah. yeah, so so, so yeah, it, what, which you know, happens happening a lot. Is, uh, it's it's a real problem. You, My publisher is trying to figure out ha, how to stop have all these. You actually <laughs> looked, have you looked to see if your book is is like been uploaded to any of the pirate sites? You know? No, I haven't. Yeah, you, sh- you should. I don't want to know. Try to do it. Um, if if somebody does that, it's fine because it just gives me all this extra visibility. So you know, I that's the last point. I I wrote a um, a book chapter. Uh, with uh, Roy Baumeister when we called it moral porn, moral pornography. And, uh, and the point that we were making was that, that there is something really satisfying about like categorizing people as good guys and bad guys. And, and we do, you know, we, we actually really like to, to say, Oh, that that's a villain and that's the hero. We make movies and write comic book, comic book villains are my favorite. You know, they're just, they look evil, but people just aren't like that. And, and it sort of makes, it makes everyday moral judgment a little complicated. I think that we're really tempted to see people as good or bad. Um, and, and, but people really aren't like that, which is evident whenever you do something bad and think about somebody actually categorizing you as a villain from, from now on, you know? Uh, you mean you're talking hypothetically? Hypothetically, if you're at a conference. <laughs> if I were. <laughs> Fortunately, Jen doesn't listen to the show, so I can talk about it. Can I talk about you at a she conference? She's not listened to one minute of this podcast, except maybe the Eliza opening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we should say Tamler got a, bu- a bunch of pity, re- pity views on his TEDx talk. And let me also say that I, it's not that good. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> like it it didn't deserve to get bumped up to Ted. It's just not it's it's good. Well, now it's fine. I'm watch I think it. it's like a B B plus you know, for me and you know, it's fine. It's good. I, I, but you know, and I appreciate any pity watch pity view I get I can get, but so that's I'm really promoting it now. <laughs> you vacillate <laughs> between just bitter and hateful and just self deprecating. <laughs> Uh, maybe on that note, we'll see you next time. <laughs> All right. See you next time. I'm Barry Babbitt. <laughs> the waiting has happened. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain.
information about this episode, including show notes and links, and to listen to other episodes, please visit us at www.verybadwizards.com.